Hello and welcome to Geek Space Nine, the Tusca Chad Media Network podcast where we discover and or rediscover this classic Star Trek series, Deep Space Nine. Duh. With me as always is Sarah Becker. How are you, Sarah? I'm doing great. I finally, after, I mean, I know this is released a couple of months after we record it, but it has literally been months since I've gotten to play Horizon Zero Dawn and I'm about to finally get to the... DLC that you know came out two months ago or whatever it was. So hooray! I'm very excited. Yeah. Hey, these things take time. Finally, finally, I'm yes. very excited for you. I I just saw that they're releasing the complete edition. So I guess this is the only DLC for Horizon Zero Dawn Sad. One. That's unfortunate. Yes. But uh, I think they'll do another game. Oh yeah, it sold so well. So I don't think this is the last we've seen of it, but uh, you're going to love it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I get the feeling that um, the implied storyline, you know, at the end of the original game is not completed in the DLC. I guess that's a spoiler, no. but um, anyway, it's it at least implies that there will be more so they can complete the storyline. Hooray. No, you're going to like it because it's, it's, it's the best version of DLC where it just adds to the mythos and right. expands it a little bit. But right. It can all kind of exist on its own, you mm-hmm. know. Excellent. So, yeah. That's always a nice way to do it. Yes. And with us as well is Peter Dancy. How are you, Peter? I'm pretty good. Uh, I actually haven't played anything lately. I'm, I, I, I don't. If, if it has been released, I don't know yet. But I'm waiting on, te- I'm waiting on Telltale to release their next episode in their in their uh, season two of their Batman game, um, I'm excited about that. So, like, nice. So the second the second it is dropped, I'm gonna just like it's a short time, but I will disappear for about three hours. Nice, very nice. Well, I am Ben Hallworth, your host, and I have been horribly, horribly obsessed with uh, Stardew Valley. It's a game I've kind of come back in, in and out of. I need to get into that. And uh, I finally got on a PlayStation, and that was kind of perfect for me. I, I just like sitting on my couch, and uh, it's a perfect game to listen to podcasts during because there's the music's great, but you can kind of have it in the background. There's no audio and stuff. And mm-hmm. I have become a lesbian Don Juan in that game. Yes. <laughs> I am playing a girl, and I currently have three girlfriends at the end of my first year. So, oh my god, I'm, I'm doing well, <laughs> doing much better. Bastard. How did you pull that off? <laughs> um, lots of gifts. I wish real relationships work this easily. <laughs> if true, if, is that how you wooed Katie, Sarah? You just looked up on the wiki of Katie what she liked of the four things she liked and then kept giving it to her over and over again. I, mean, I heard you like cake. Here's more cake. Here's another cake. Here's another cake. I mean, the only thing on that wiki was unicorns. So, right there you go. <laughs> it was very. Hers would point. be, hers yes. would be plush unicorn love, and you would just keep going up, be like, "Here's a unicorn," and she'd be like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> Basically, yes. I did literally once buy her um, an entire backpack's worth of unicorn paraphernalia, including the backpack itself. Um, and I was, I was going to you know save it and give it to her like at random intervals but then she got sick and so to make her feel better i just gave it to her as a unicorn care package no <laughs> i got helped. in on this unicorn uh, love too and when, when they were staying at my parents house i bought katie a unicorn balloon that, a like, balloonicorn balloonicorn that was like that would actually stand it had like little legs little and stand paper on. feet that's adorable so cute i guess and I put it's it on their bed by now and it, i don't know what happened to probably it. I'm sure, but even I had to get in on on Katie being adorable with unicorns. It's too much. Mm-hmm. 
But yes, Ben <laughs> Ben put it on our bed, and we got back from uh, from going out drinking one night, and Katie was just shocked and you know wonderfully surprised. It was adorable. <laughs> it was very cute. Well, we have uh, uh, one episode's kind of adorable. The other one's more serious. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But we have two very different episodes to talk about this week. We are talking about season six, episode 13, and episode 14. So first up is season six, episode 13, Far Beyond the Stars. So just a quick uh, synopsis note, since this episode has the same actors playing different roles in the uh, 1950s sequence when introduced a 1950s character, I will then give the usual character name of their DS9 counterpart. Hope that all makes sense. Mm-hmm. All right. Benjamin's father, Joseph, is aboard DS9 to visit his son for the first time in years, but Benjamin is distraught. Tensions are rising in the Dominion War, and even worse, a close friend of his was killed on a Cardassian border, leaving him to question if he wants to remain captain. However, he also starts seeing visions of 1950s-dressed people, and even finds himself on a New York City street. Bashir examines him and finds he is having similar effects to the ones he suffered from the Prophets years ago. When he looks down at his results, instead he is holding a Galaxy magazine, and he is transformed to Benny Russell, a sci-fi writer in 1950s New York. He works for Incredible Tales, the low-rent galaxy magazine that includes the robot-obsessed Albert Macklin, O'Brien, the pretentious fantasy writer Julius Eaton, Bashir, his wife, who must write under a male pseudonym, Kay Eaton, Kira, the short-tempered liberal writer Herbert Rossiff, Quark, and they all work under the magazine's editor, Douglas Paps, Odo, who loves the work of Russell and Kay Eaton, but knows he can't publish them with their real pictures for fear of repercussions. After coming in for some banter, the illustrator, Roy Ritterhouse, Martok, comes in with some drawings to inspire the group, and Russell is particularly drawn to one of a space station that looks an awful lot like DS9 we know and love. Russell takes it home with him, but on his walk back, the drawing blows out of his hands and lands on the feet of Officer Ryan, Ducat, and Officer Mohaki, Wayun. The officers harass Russell for being black in public, but let him hmm. go. As he goes back to his home in Harlem, he passes by a preacher, Joseph Sisko, who tells him he must write those words, and the prophets demand it from him. Russell writes up his story entitled Deep Space Nine, complete with everything we know and led by the black captain, Benjamin Sisko. He tries to sell his girlfriend Cassie, Penny Johnson, on the idea, but she wants him to quit writing as it's never been profitable for him. He also shares it with a local hustler, Jimmy, Jake Sisko, who says that no one will let blacks into space except as maintenance workers. We also meet the charming baseball player, Willie Hawkins, Worf, who's trying to slide into Cassie's 1950s DMs. Cisco drops off his work, and every writer, as well as the secretary, Darlene Kursky, Dax, loves it, but Paps refuses ah. to publish it on the ground that no one in this time wants to read about a black man in charge of a space station. This enrages the staff, especially Rossoff, but Paps stays firm. Despite the setback, Russell keeps writing DS9 stories, angering Paps, till Macklin comes up with a solution that the whole series be a dream of a modern black man of a better future. Paps agrees and pays Benny for the stories. On his way home, Benny hears shots and rushes to see officers Ryan and Mohaki have shot Jimmy to death over breaking into a car. In a rage, Russell charges at them and they beat him mercilessly. Cassie helps Russell recover and when he returns to work, he finds out the terrible news that the entire issue has been pulped because of the magazine owner's fury over a black protagonist and he is forced to fire Benny. Russell breaks down, screaming that the world cannot deny him his voice, and he is carried off in an ambulance. On the ride, he sees the stars streaming by and sees the preacher who tells him that he is both the dreamer and the dream. 
Cisco wakes up back as himself on the station and sees a vision of Benny looking back at him, making him wonder who was the dreamer and who is the dream. What do we think of Far Beyond the Stars? It was so much fun. I love 1950s costuming. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what do you think, Peter? Uh, this was the first of two episodes for this season that my friend Steve has like like has made it required that I watch it with him that I watch it with him and I very much enjoyed this episode but 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 what all but what also made it funny for me was that was that when I was over at his place watching it um I, I could see I could see him out of the corner of my eye just I just every now and then every now and then looking and be like hmm hmm just trying to like gauge my reaction on everything. So, so, so apart from this being just a fantastic episode, it was it was also like just a fun like a fun experience with my friend who like really wanted me to see this particular episode. Nice, yeah. This episode is phenomenal. Um, it's it's absolutely phenomenal. And as a person who's a big fan of sci-fi, particularly sci-fi writers of the '50s and '60s, all the little references and stories, and just the idea of sitting in the 1950s pulp magazine is like awesome <laughs> i would mm-hmm. love to watch yeah. just that show i i not only that it's ds9 but just the fact of of trying to write in that world and what that means and having all these people um if i can nerd out a real bit uh sort of the sci-fi writer connections i loved albert macklin is clearly isaac asimov because he talks all about how he only writes about robots yeah and he only <laughs> and he's uh, <laughs> almost robotic himself uh julie's eaton i kind of he's sort of a lot of like sort of brit fantasy writers at the time he's a little bit of tolkien but i would say he's probably more like richard matheson and kay eaton is Catherine moore who also wrote under a uh, male pseudonym, C. Elmore. Mm. And notably, a lot of Star Trek writers wrote, uh, were female writers who wrote under the same similar pseudonyms. Girl power. Uh, if, you ever see, if you ever see, like, 50s writers and they have a, like, you know, like, like two-letter, like, you know, C. Elmore or something like that, mm-hmm. uh, then it's usually a female writer pretending to be a man. And a lot huh. of them wrote the Star Trek novels and sci-fi stories and pulp magazines and stuff like that never writing the actual show of course uh, but it's sort of interesting reference to that as well and then herbert rossiff is uh harlan ellison who's like the super liberal crazy out there hippie dude right in the 50s who got away with a lot of stuff because he was white frankly and he would Mm -hmm. admit it and he actually apparently was the inspiration of his episode because he knew a black writer working for one of these magazines who got ousted and his career was ruined and so that's sort of where they got the idea from So anyways, Hmm. I just wanted to say that was really cool, that element. But it was just a really interesting view of race in this show. Race has always been part of the show and the conversation with the fandom, but never on the show really that Mm -hmm. much. We've talked about it a little bit, um, but this sort of addresses a lot of the things of can people accept a black captain on Star Trek, weirdly, Mm -hmm. Um, which was a concern at the time, shockingly. It was the 90s still. and it was considered, you know, sort of PC culture and crap like that. So to see the show weirdly do a meta take on that itself, as well as telling just a really interesting story, made it just a, a blast for me. No, same because um, uh, this th- this whole episode just just kind of just kind of tied into conversations that I have had or have seen, or like or like at least been a part of it in, in one way or another whether it was science fiction or fantasy about about, about how about how you have these worlds that are built um that are built around a, cer- a certain concept and yet there are many people 
honestly usually white people who for some reason even even though even though even though if it's science fi- if it's say science fiction they can believe in robots that become sentient they can believe in these far off worlds they can believe in like like countless varieties of of, 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 alien, of alien species different different from humans or if it's fantasy they can believe in elves whether it's like whether it's like like like, like light elves dark elves or or orcs dwarfs whatever dragons whatever and yet but 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 yet for some reason when it comes to humans they cannot imagine people of color all ex- also existing in like in in like the spectrum of humanity somehow that's foreign to them even even though it's a totally fictional world where literally anything is possible and everything else is possible except for a person of color like it, it's just always the default and so that was that that was one reason one big reason why i love this episode because because they were literally saying it's like it's science fiction why yeah. should it matter like it's anything is possible in space literally anything is possible in space why should why, why should our 1950s audience and and by proxy 1990s audience why should it be such a stretch for them to believe that a black man can be the captain of a ship because i'm sorry but it's gonna happen right and star trek itself has held has had a a long history of this you know it's it's what makes star trek the original show so notable you know night night 2020s technology 1960s sexual politics you know like yeah. it, it in that show they even say at one point that women can't be captain in starfleet which is crazy how can like a society that's advanced to space traveling and has fixed all of its problems quote unquote still have like sexist regimented military you know what i mean mm-hmm. like it's right. it's to the point that you know star trek discovery just ignores that because it's like you know that doesn't even make sense why would there not even be women captain in the it's like we can believe in little green men but not in a minority having a position of power yeah right and if we and if we have if we've evolved if um, as i think nog pointed out uh to 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 jake if we have humans have if if we have humans have evolved past you know economics based exchange or whatever then i'm sorry but everything else should also kind of follow with that as far as far as like you know just like you know enlighten quote unquote enlightenment and just furthering ourselves yeah and 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 sci-fi often is about addressing you know the future it is about like going to those depths and to think about those things and to question it and yeah, it's 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 interesting that societal issues are the ones that freak people out the most. You know what I mean? Like, like a transgender gay alien. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, for example, yep. you know, or a uh, uh, you know, even in the show, they they thought about making Garrick more openly in love with Bashir, but then they were afraid of that, and you know, it was easier to do a lesbian character than it was to do a gay character, which is always the case, you know, like there's all kinds of stuff that even this show is dealing with. So I think just to have that meta element of the way that sci-fi always wants to be about the future and about progress, there's obviously plenty of dystopian stuff too. Um, It often is hampered by the social mores of the current, you know, and there's always this sort of backlash and this fight, you know, to, from the writers, the great writers to, to fight against that in a way, which I think is really exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Actually, um, you saying that suddenly reminds me of the Futurama episode where it's just like, can humans and robots be in love? And it's like, 
it's it, it's kind of interesting now to think that it's like we maybe not maybe not maybe not in our lifetime watching well, or not even maybe but then again then again technology has advanced pretty damn quickly in the past 20 years um but at some point in the future we very well may have to answer that question because i uh, yeah reasons <laughs> yeah so uh her that's a good movie that's a good example yeah yes. her i love that yeah. movie such a damn good movie that part of that movie that i love the most where she says he's like how many people are you in love with right now she says like hundreds or something like that yeah because a robot could have that ability you yeah. know yep. a robot that can love can have the ability to love hundreds of people equally mm-hmm. robots the ultimate unbelievable poly- to us yeah. robots the ultimate polyamorous being yes, yes. <laughs> so basically i want to be a robot as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, i'm surprised sarah you haven't mentioned the similarity of this to a buffy episode um oh the uh the episode where she it's hit by a demon it's called normal again and then the demon i was thinking about that yeah i uh i don't know i I tried to block out that episode uh it's it's a wonderful episode but it's just so trippy and really implies that it's all in her head which i mean you know vampires and witchcraft and demons oh my but you know that makes more sense but i don't want it to be all in her head right well that's what both this episode and the other one do is they leave on a note that it's not possibly a dream that it could yeah. actually just all be Benny Russell's writing or that she is just crazy mm-hmm. at the end of normal again. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't sort of have that coda, which uh, you sometimes need. There's also a podcast I love called hello from the magic tavern, which is a fucking awesome podcast. It's this uh, it's story of Arnie, a guy who goes behind the back of a Burger King and gets transported to the magical land of Foon, where he gets a slight Wi-Fi signal that allows him to transmit a podcast into <laughs> our world. That nice. sounds great. And I want you. The to brilliant thing is, afterwards. it's all it's really brilliant. And the what makes it great is it's all comedians improvising, and everything they say becomes canon. That's what makes it great. Mm-hmm. So, like, if you come up with some stupid character, it becomes like there's a joke at one point that Jews are real in their universe as well as our universe and so then they keep mentioning like they just mentioned last episode hanukkah so like they keep you know that's still mm-hmm. canon so that's what nice. i love about that show nice. i really want you to remind um, me of that once we're done recording this because i need to write that down and they did sort of a normal episode where it was all in his head and he was mm-hmm. a crazy person and they left it the same way where it was like potentially still could it be real or could it be Ooh. fake you know well i mean and I like it because in a way where it is fake, you know, Dark Deep Space Nine is fake. Well, yeah. Buffy is fake. It's not real, but there is a sense where we put our minds into the idea that it has to be real because that's how we watch stories. But then he creates a separate idea where it's it's a separate, two separate realities mm-hmm. that are both yeah. fake. Yeah. But then one is more fake than the other. And it makes this very interesting, I don't know, take on writeriness that I, I love. And, you know, it's all very <laughs> pretentious and it makes me very happy. Yes. And well, well, then, well then I will say within the, within the context of, of Deep Space Nine, and within the context of Star Trek over overall, if, if if this really is a dream, then Benny somehow left. The Benny somehow left that le- left that job, and every single Star Trek show and movie and short and everything that we right. have gotten is just him riding his ass off like crazy. Yes, like right. Everything that we have gotten is all Benny. 
So like that can be a headcanon if you want to accept it. Every like liter like literally everything has been written right. by Benny Russell or I don't know, but like but now that now that I'm saying it out loud, that all that just makes it even more of an interesting ending. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Every single Star Trek show and movie is just it's just a massive anthology by Benny Russell. Yes. Well, there's uh have you ever heard of the Tommy Westfall theory? Mm-hmm. No. I think I Tommy have, West- but I forget what it is. Tommy Westfall is a character from St. Elsewhere. Okay. Called St. Elsewhere. And St. Elsewhere had this infamous series finale where the hospital starts shaking. It's a hospital drama. And the hospital starts shaking. And and Tommy was in the show. He was like a character in the show. And he was an autistic child. Mm-hmm. And the whole hospital starts shaking. And it rains back. And it's Tommy with a snow globe. And you learn that the entirety of St. Elsewhere was just in the mind of this you know autistic child. Oh, wow. Um but then people pointed out that certain characters shifted from other shows in that show. Hmm. Like they had certain like crossover episodes because like big in the 80s. So they have like expanded out to like, well, if this person was in this, then technically they're fake. And like this person's not real. And this person's in his mind. And like they've expanded to like some like 200 shows or something what? right now. Oh it's like God. totally crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely look up like the flow chart at some point because somebody's done like a crazy version of this but you're right peter we're like if if it's all in benny russell's head then there's like so much that is incorporated into that all of a sudden (laughs) particularly of like anything past 1950s that he wouldn't know about that was in reference in the show like you know like there'd be there'd just be so much that he would have created (laughs) in his mind yeah well let's talk fashion who looked the best in their 50s uniform dax looked the best well, <laughs> wait a that. minute. Worf looked pretty good. I think good Kira too. looked. Worf looked snazzy as fuck. Yes, he looked great. Okay, dude. Like I, I okay. Um, I forgot how handsome Michael Dorn is. I right, know. like, like because we don't see him out of costume. So, like, I didn't so, recognize him at first. Yeah, like, yeah. I, out of everyone, it, like, literally out of everyone, it, and like, it took me a minute to realize. Hold on, that's Worf. Because like, he puts on a bit of a voice for Worf too, right? So, yeah, but then he would say certain things in his Worf yeah. voice, yeah, yeah, and yeah. it was just enough. I know it was just like, oh, Kira looked great too. Apparently, Kira modeled, uh, not a visitor, modeled her look on her actual mom. Like oh, cool! Pictures of her mom from the fifties. Well, she looked fantastic. She was the. She said she looked exactly like her. Yeah. She that was uh, the first comment that I made to you guys when I was watching the show was Kira looks great. <laughs> hadn't even seen she Dax yet. Uh, stupid 50s, terrible ideals, but great fashion. Precisely. So <laughs> you get the nostalgia, but you're also like, mm, but bad time, bad <laughs> stuff. <laughs> Not great. Again, <laughs> I really, like, again, uh, with the, you know, lack of feminine power and, and all that from the 50s but I really just I kind of want to be a 1950s housewife but with agency and rights and stuff but I just, just love that whole be... aesthetic everything else you d- yeah you just want to be Professor Marston you want to be a 50s lesbian Dude, like yes, no fine, I want yes. to be Olive Olive exactly yes. that's what I'm saying you want to be in that relationship you yes. know what I'm saying yeah with, with no Marston with no Marston know? exactly yes just Lady Marston. <laughs> I sent a picture to you guys, but it was like like fifties, like old fifties lesbian pictures. Yes, I haven't looked at that yet. I think I was driving when you sent it, but yes. Yeah, I need to go back. And it's look very at those. cute because like, and they they pointed out each one like they found labeled was like 
Aunt Elizabeth and her friend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it was a lot. Yeah, friends making out on the beach. Sure. <laughs> yes. It's like yes, they are just, just gals just being friends, oh, mm-hmm. which they still did. I sent Sarah that BuzzFeed thing where they keep talking about celebrities who are in like women celebrities who are in queer <laughs> relationships. And it's like and Kristen like, Stewart <laughs> out with her friend. <laughs> Her living like, guys, stop denying it. Friend, <laughs> Kirsten Stewart having sex with her best friend, mm-hmm. <laughs> just pal things. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you know, if they're dating, then like technically that is their best friend. So like, it's not far off. But we know, but but, but we all know what they mean, right? I think it's just magazines are too afraid to say it. Like they don't want to like out people who aren't technically out or whatever. But uh, like, Kristen Stewart's on. totally out. Yeah, she I did say understand. that on the yeah, SNL with her, with her being with her being one of the exceptions. Yeah, she's just quiet about it. She just doesn't want to be like you know, I'm gay. Give me gay praise. She's just like whatever. Yeah, yeah. She, she just dates women, I think. Yeah, she's not Sam Smith trying to come out a week before his first album drops in order to increase sales because that's exactly how it worked. We all know it. <sighs> Don't deny it, Sam Smith. Or. Or uh, when he accepted the Academy Award and said, I'm the only gay person who's ever won an Oscar. And I, I read like, an article. Wait, I, read, I, read, no. I read an article. I don't know if it's true, but I'm the first gay, art, first, first gay man. And we're just like, I'm sorry. No, and then, what? And then I left. He backed it up and he said, I'm the only one to win this song. And then everyone's like, Elton John won that like, song. Like literally yeah. Elton John. Oh, never mind. <laughs> I am a gay man who's won this award. Doesn't sound as good, I guess. Right. Mm-hmm. It's, like, it, it's, like you are the out, it's like you are the out gay man winning an award this year. <laughs> All right. Anything else to say for Far Beyond the Stars? Let me take you far beyond the stars. I told you I was going to sing. Yep. You were. You were. I liked it. All right. Well, next up is One Little Ship, season six, episode 14. (laughs) It's cute. The Defiant. Teensy Defiant. It's so cute. I know. Teensy Rubicon, excuse me. Yeah. Uh, the Defiant is sent to investigate an anomaly which has the unique side effect of shrinking everyone and everything aboard the runabout, the USS Rubicon, though by exiting the anomaly a certain way, they should return to normal size. Aboard the runabout is Dax, O'Brien, and Bashir, who shrink to just centimeters tall, when suddenly the Defiant is attacked and overrun by Jim Hadar. The Jim Hadar discover the engines on the Defiant are damaged. The second, Ixtanix Rex? who is older than the first, says that they should just kill the crew, but he's outranked by the first, Kudak Itan, who is younger, but born in the Alpha Quadrant. And while the second is born in the Gamma Quadrant, newer Jem'Hadar tend to wield more power. The first wants to use the Defiant's crew to fix the problem and then escape. Their Vorta agrees, and the Jem'Hadar and the Defiant are left alone to capture it and bring it back, much to the second's displeasure. Meanwhile, the Rubicon arrives at the Defiant to realize they are all still a ship for ants? and they enter the Defiant through the plasma vent and manage to not get all plasmid. The Rubicon's crew, undetected, realize that the Defiant's crew plan to regain control of the ship, but if that fails, then to self-destruct the ship with everyone aboard. The Rubicon goes to the bridge to assist, where O'Brien and Bashir beam down to a computer node to help, but only have a limited pocket of compressed air, as they can't breathe regular-sized air molecules. After a rough series of missteps, they manage to just in time find the node and give Nod control of the ship back. Upon realizing the crew had already fixed the ship but were stalling for time, the first orders them killed. But the Rubicon attacks, and the Jim'Hadar and the crew and the little ship manage to kill them all. Sisko tells the second he was right to say he should kill Sisko, which I guess is some comfort as he dies. 
With the ship saved, the Rubicon goes to the Denomaly and returns to normal size. All seems well until Odo notes that Bashir and O'Brien are a little shorter than they were before, which it turns out isn't true. Just another classic episode of Odo You Didn't, the greatest prank <laughs> show on DS9. What do we think of one little ship? Well, real quick, I have a bit of a problem with Julian's logic that they can't breathe normal-sized air molecules. They are not that small. They are not quite literally microscopic. There are plenty of small critters who breathe the same air that we do just fine. So I don't know what he's talking about. Is it like the... There were girls on my street selling Girl Scout cookies. Come to this side. It started... Do we need to stop so you can go buy some girls? They're on the other side of the street right now, but if they come to the door, we might have to pause. All right, we'll totally. Sorry, y'all. This is very important. No, pausing for Girl Scout cookies (laughs) is totally and absolutely. You need to buy all the thin mints. No, I need. Yeah, my caramels are light. Those exact two cookies, Ben. Yes. Oh right, but uh, I think maybe it's like is the um, is it the way you transmit oxygen in? Because like you have the what's it called in the lungs the. I want to say alveoli. That's a type of alveoli. <laughs> the aioli in the in the lungs. Yes. <laughs> delicious, delicious lung sauce. Um, lung sauce. <laughs> maybe it's too small to absorb oxygen because it's built for humans, but Possibly. I don't know. I, don't I haven't know. shrunk a person, according to Matt Damon. And downsizing, you're fine. So and also, anyway. honey, I shrunk the kids. And Matt They're Damon all is totally fine. to be trusted. This is true. This is true. Details. I mean, Space Nine wants. Details. I want to do something special. Um. Yeah, this episode was fun. It was just silly. It was just fun to see a little ship fly around. And yeah, it was. Fly in between people and it attack people at the end is really cute. Mm-hmm. It's just fun. What do yeah. you guys think? No, I, I agree. That, that 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 was funny just watching like this little ship just like fly up and 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 it was and it was like shoot a torpedo. And it's like, "Oh, that's right. That's a torpedo." They <laughs> yeah. literally just so- they say torpedo to a huge full-size person Uh, yeah it was no this this episode was so much fun like like watching them sneak around with this tiny little this tiny little roundabout and just like i i and and i know we'll get to it later but i but I, i i liked how they filmed the shots where they had to have the roundabout flying around because it was because because you, you know of course usually whenever 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 we watch the show we see we see them filming from a perspective from a perspective of a normal sized being so it was nice so it was it was cool to see to see like the different shots where it's like we're going from filming normal sized beings to we are now filming this small little area and everything else is kind of blurry because it's like it's from their their perspective yeah. far away. Yeah, and it's always fun to have that creative camera angles, you know, like you said, to to show off size and to do a lot of like you know high angle shots and right. film people's feet and yeah, it's like, <laughs> stuff un- like that. It's like under a desk or like or like really close to the seat of a chair or a bench or something like that. Look like right. like in like in, inside the vent thing where where, where, the, where the where the plasma was, and they were just like, if we're in here any longer, we're gonna burn up. Yeah, and uh, one of my favorite things in uh, in movies like Honey, I Shrunk the Kids and stuff is the sets they build. Oh yeah, and unfortunately yeah. we only get one, but we get one really cool computer note set, which is fun. Mm-hmm. Like it's I always I always loved in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. We're like, uh, 
I think they recreated that. I went to a set or something once in Disney World where they did a version of that. Yeah, they definitely and, you know, did they that. The, you know, and they have the giant mushrooms and the giant, you know, flades of grass and stuff. And this had the, you know, giant computer nodules, which are this big and, you know, mm-hmm. um, and and have all these lights streaming through. It almost felt like a Doctor Who set. It yes. Was just, it was just fun. It yeah. really did. It had sort of that cheap aesthetic, which I just just is just a blast. That <laughs> cheap aesthetic. Yeah, just you're right. Tubing and uh, lights and things like that, which is just always a blast. But they spent all their money on the little ship. The little ship is so cute. Yes, tiny so tiny. And then just zooming not... throughout the defiant. <laughs> and even if we're not Dax and War fans, you gotta admit, say hi, say hi to your wife, and he's like. And he's waving at her, and she's this little thing. That's adorable. That was great. That's yeah. just adorable. You can't help with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was pretty cute. So, what you guys think about this little thing in the middle of this episode about the Alpha and Gamma, Jim Hadar? Yeah, mm. I think I think that could evolve into a pretty big plot point, especially how the Alphas are like, we show our loyalty in actions, not words, when, you know, it's time for them to get the white and they don't say the, you know, the traditional routine of we pledge ourselves to the Vorta and the Dominion, whatever. They're just like, just yeah. give us give us the stuff, man. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's, right. It's like seeing the they're difference. They're teenagers. <laughs> yeah. Rebellious teenagers. It's mm-hmm. like seeing the difference between a freshman and a senior in high school or college. The freshmen are just like, what? What? And the seniors are like, this everything's done. Shut up. Get in line. Mm-hmm. Right. Just do your jobs so and get the fuck out of here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't tell me what to well, do. Man. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's actually too that like you know the gammas are was right in this episode mm-hmm. yeah which is interesting as well and uh yeah that 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 fight is going to be interesting i feel like that's the most important thing we learned in this episode because mm-hmm. the rest feels like filler yeah um, yeah how do you how do you feel about filler episodes now like if there's still the dominion war going on because i both like both these episodes but they're definitely filler episodes I mean, it for me, it just depends on if it's a good story and if it's a good episode, that, yeah, and these yeah. were, so I, I don't mind them. And quite frankly, yeah. the Dominion episodes, they're often so, you know, deep and sometimes very depressing and they're very intense. Sometimes it's nice to have a little breather for a couple of episodes. <laughs> the right. ship. Yes. Yes. The ship. Yes, like Cisco even said to it at the at the beginning of the episode, he's just like, while the war is still going on, it is nice to have something else to do. Exactly. Yes, yes. I mean, even this episode was like, if we can't do it, we'll kill ourselves. Like, it's still Deep Space Nine. Oh, no, of, yeah, like, they, they still have Being like pretty that. heavy, you know. But, hey, little ship. Yeah. <laughs> little ship. That's what matters. Little ship. I also enjoyed Bashir and O'Brien running out of air. It didn't make 100% sense. It was pretty adorable. <laughs> Watching them have to go things. And he's like, well, where's the... Are there things near this? And like he's trying to help this thing. Brian, who's lost. <laughs> the thing with the thing on it and the thing. The thing with the thing and the and the there. <laughs> that thing. It must be so weird too. Like if you were like a mechanic and you were shrunk down to be in like inside of a car. Like mm-hmm. that's essentially what happened to O'Brien. Like yeah. that must be so odd. Yeah. To be like smaller than the things you work with. Mm-hmm. It's like this is strange. <laughs> go from bringing a mechanic to a construction worker it's oh, all yeah, kind of true. the same thing yes 
And thankfully, unlike a lot of animated films, this one did not have someone who had a gigantism fetish in this episode. I did not feel any creepy vibes oh, no. from anything, which Mm-mm. is good. No weird leering, which is good. <laughs> unlike, say, B-Movie, <laughs> which is the weirdest movie ever made. It's And also Monsters vs. Aliens. Mm. Oh, I forgot Someone at DreamWorks has a gigantism fetish and he keeps getting away with it. And it's not okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. They must be stopped. <laughs> they must be stopped. Not to kick shame, but just leave it out of kids' movies. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, that, that, that mostly. <laughs> exactly. Um, the special effects are great. Yeah. I really liked the ship. It was very cute. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it was easy to do. Well, easier than most things. But still, you have to imagine some poor Jemadar actor being like, pew, pew, I'm firing at a tiny ship. They might have had, you know, a green ball on a stick or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would love that. Yeah, it, yeah, and and pl- and plus because it because it was more of just one thing to like to like kind of look to to look at that wasn't there rather than imagining everything or most things. It's like it's like okay, just just look right here. Okay, can do that. Done. Yeah, yeah. I wonder. I should talk to my dad. My dad's good at destroying everything sci-fi he's great at being like <laughs> and being like you can't travel faster than light i'm like i know real space travel's boring i get it <laughs> but you know i was listening to a, a scientist talking you know because they're like why she was like why is every ship like made like a real modern airplane because you don't need it we make yeah. airplanes because of drag and friction sure. and she's like you know who got it right the borg a cube yes <laughs> a cube moves the same in space as a rocket ship with like front nose and wings it's the same thing so just make a cube <laughs> my only counterpoint to that would be if it's coming out of the earth's atmosphere it needs to be True. shaped to reduce the drag until you get into space then it doesn't matter but yeah and runabouts fair. runabouts do come in out so that makes sense mm-hmm. i'm just saying like the and the enterprise doesn't have to look like it do no. you know why because... though do you know why though why? aesthetics yes. exactly i want it to look humans pretty. still that's the thing that's the thing humans still need that like it's the thing of like, what was it? What was the example I was trying to think of? Anyways, but there's often things where we, we advance to the point where we don't need it anymore, but like we still keep it because we're used to the old thing. And mm-hmm. so like if we get let it go, we'll be like, oh. right. Like, oh, ringing on a telephone. Cell uh, phones yeah. don't need a ring because they aren't physically operating through a wire. Mm-hmm. But if your cell phone didn't ring, you'd be like, oh, is it working? Mm-hmm. So we put in the noise because it's like, better it's easier for us to understand it's ringing on the phone you know so yeah it, you know. yeah it, it's it's like it's like how i it's like how i see the normandy ship from the mass effect series no we don't need it to look like this but it looks damn pretty so why not yeah it's true that's true we want it to look sexy or even... that's why that's why the borg cube is great because it's efficiency it's yes. just like a total cube, efficiency you know? mm-hmm. yeah. or even you know, just just to carry it to the things we animate in Treasure Planet when the spaceship Ooh, looks yeah. like a tall masted ship. And right, it, it, right. That, it makes no kind of sense, but it looks so cool. It does look cool. That movie is weird. That's a, that is such love an that under... Movie. I'm, I, I don't know. About, I don't know how y'all feel. That, that, I don't know how y'all feel, but that is such an underrated movie to me. That that and Atlantis: The Lost Empire. Mm-hmm. Those two move. Those two movies do not get nearly do not get nearly. The other one from that. Uh, the other one from that era, which I'll throw in, which isn't Disney, is Titan A.E. I think Titan. Oh, that yeah. movie is amazing. Was that Disney? I, 
No, that was. No, I um, think it was. I don't think it's even DreamWorks. I think it's some. Oh off, my! Another. Ooh, oh Sarah's showing God. her her massive amount of Girl Scout cookies she just bought. Yes, and now I have to control my intake of them for the next. I know. Month or whatever. I, I could just eat all of them today, but I'm not going to. I mean, you could, but like, oh, uh, Don Bluth, that Don Don Bluth, that that okay, was Don that Bluth. was tiny. Oh, Don Bluth, the tiny. Yeah, I forgot yeah, that. yeah. It was it was Don it was Don Bluth and Gary Goldman. Man, that movie's great. Katie Written and I are Just all Mean. about Don Bluth. We watched The Secret of Nim the other day. Oh, love that one too. Mm-hmm. This is my sparkly. Awesome. Katie bought me a sparkly necklace for Christmas, and I love it. You know, technically, Don Bluth movies are now um, Disney movies. Disney movies, yeah. Because they were Fox movies. (laughs) Don't touch them! (laughs) They might touch Anastasia, just because princesses. No, No, that one especially do not touch. I could see them doing like a Jungle Book-style remake of The Secret of Nim. That would be pretty cool. Oh, CGI rodents and the crow and the cat and stuff. I would, I, I would yeah. be down for that. And, and and now that now that you say that, I actually now now that technology has caught up to the visuals of that of that film when it was first released, I I, I don't I wouldn't too much mind a remake of Titan AE actually. I would too, but that movie made no money, so they're not going. No, no, yeah. no, it, it, it made none whatsoever. Yeah. They better not touch money. the land before time. No, Ooh, I, I, I don't, don't dare. I, mm, no, no I, James I, Horner no, I, is no, gone. I doubt they, will. they will ruin I, the music. I doubt they will. I, no, I, I, but there's already I, I been like 80 friggin' sequels to that movie. Like it's been ruined before. Like it's it's already in the trash. Okay, some of me. the sequels are not that bad. The, the tenth <laughs> one like made me cry them. a whole lot. There's not forty. I don't even know how you keep up. Fourteen, fifteen. There's one that they only lot. released on Netflix. Oh, really? <laughs> really? Yeah. Ugh, the most buddy. recent one. That's not Not at sign. all that I keep up with this. But, I mean, now that you've brought it up and, like, because I have Wikipedia up, I uh, just want to let you all know it came out in 2016 and it is called mm-hmm. The Land Before Time, Journey of the Brave. It's not uh. actually as bad as the one that came before it, The Wisdom of Friends. That was stupid. That was yes, I've seen what? all of them. Actually, I own all of them. You all know my secret. I collect them. It's fine. Even if they're not good, it's, it's a matter of principle now. It's a matter of principle. All right, all right. Fair enough. I'll make fun of your collection of land before time too much. Only I'm very bit. proud of it. Only a little bit. <laughs> I own all the Once Upon a Time in China movies, and only like two of those are good, so mm. I understand. Because a teacher and I was doing a Chinese cinema studies class, and our teacher assigned us different things to do like uh, presentations on, mm-hmm. and mm. um, I got the Once Upon a China. Well, time at of least China you movies. have a good reason. Well, it's a thing. The, 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 this is not a good reason. You're going to see why I'm a, a terrible, obsessive, horrible person. So I was given the assignment, and she's like, "Now." Really, just you only have to watch the first one, and then you can, like, you know, just Wikipedia the other ones and give us a brief summary. And I was like, or I could watch all of them. <laughs> and I did for no reason. I was given free reign to not do that. And I was like, no, I, I must. Will. 
And it was only worth it because there's a very insane scene in four where a guy punches a horse and it's a crazy ever <laughs> scene in my life. It's insane. Um, but otherwise, oh, and the sixth one, they go to America, but all the Americans are played by Chinese people, and it's very weird and it's fascinating. That's awesome. So you get to see like Americans and Mexicans and Native Americans played by Chinese people, and it's very weird. Wow. <laughs> Enjoyed it. Huh. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the first three are great. I would recommend those movies. Okay. You can see Jet Li fight uh, Donnie Yen in cool. number two, and that's pretty yes. great. And uh, in the first one, he kills a guy by flinging a bullet in his head, which makes no sense, but it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're way off track, so Just I think that'll like do it. That'll do it for our meandery episode. Uh, unless you had anything else to say for one little ship. No. That's yeah. good. Can you see Rubicon? Oh, cool. It's great. It's so cute. I should get a little cheek chain. Yes. Like the same size as it. Yes. Make, yeah, make built it so. to scale. Yes, to scale. That would be great. I'm sure that's on Etsy somewhere. Oh, yeah. All right. That has been our episode. Next week, we will be discussing Season 6, Episode 15, and Episode 16, which are Honor Among Thieves and Change of Heart. As always, I want to thank my lovely co-host for joining me every week on this journey. Our theme song is by Captain Meatshield. You can check him out on Twitter at CPTN underscore Meatshield. Our awesome artwork is by Joe Bowen. We are a part of the Tuscan Shed Media Network. You can see more of our shows at TuscanShed.com. If you like the show, like, subscribe, rate, and review it any way that you can. It helps new listeners discover our show. Until next time, this is the crew of Geekspace 9 signing off. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.